This is Students Who Design. Today we'll be interviewing Chen Ye. He studies computer science at Brown University, and he's worked at SpaceX, Facebook, IBM, and Microsoft. We'll dive deep into why hackathons are important for designers, doing user interface design inside of a spaceship, and so much more. We hope you enjoy the episode. Students Who Design is sponsored in part by Facebook Design. For more resources and information on designing at Facebook, visit facebook.design and check out open rules at facebook.com careers. Hey Chen, uh, thanks for joining us uh, after coming out and biking in the pouring rain. <laughs> uh, so first off, we want to introduce what school you currently attend, your major, and where you worked over the summer. Okay, awesome. Yeah, um, I'm wrapping up a final semester at Brown, and my major is SCB in Computer Science, Bachelor's okay. of Science. Um, and I was at SpaceX over the summer. Cool. And can you describe your path to product design? Yeah. So it's sort of long and torturous, but I think the short summary is um, I was super interested in science um, in high school and basically the idea of how complex systems form and how we understand them. Um, and I noticed that a lot of my fellow classmates were having a hard time learning uh, about subjects like biology, for example, where it's like okay. in a, I think, traditional academic setting, it's a lot of like memorization of terms and like basically this rote mm -hmm. learning style. Yeah, bio is like everyone says you have to be good at memorizing. For sure. Yeah. Um, but the way I understand, I understood it was a lot more visual. Uh, because biology, especially on the micro scale, is very much like structure equals function, and so the actual like physical, you know, shape of systems and objects uh, informed how they worked. And so, I think I got into design as a way to sort of communicate how these complex systems worked through means other than text. Um, and I think I pushed myself in that direction starting in high school um, and moved more towards like interface design and digital stuff um, when I entered college and I started going to hackathons. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up organizing a hackathon um, at Brown and that you know also I think hardened a lot of my skills uh, in product design. Uh, and then I had a couple of internships. And cool. That's where so I am now. I, wanna, I think it's a good segue because I want to touch upon your involvement at Brown, specifically leading design at Hack at Brown um, yeah. for a couple of years, if I have my assumption correct. For two years. Two years. So um, how do, were you able to manage a design team and create that long-lasting brand? Because I think if you ask anyone to draw the Hack at Brown logo who's in like the circuit or hackathon circuit, they could probably do it better than other hackathon logos. Yeah. Um, I mean... You know, completely honestly, no one knew what they were doing at the time. Um, we were a group of, you know, I think 10 or so students at first. I joined on pretty early, but uh, the co-founders were really instrumental in sort of setting the spirit and the, um, I guess, organizing principle of the hackathon. Um, okay. And I think part of building the long-lasting brand that we had is we really tried to intentionally set us ourselves apart from other hackathons. We really asked the question of why is it that we're organizing a hackathon beyond just the fact that it's like something everyone else is doing? Um, and it 
So and what is the re or what was that reason? Yeah, so um, for people who aren't familiar with Hack at Brown, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, this was back in 2013, 2014, um, and hackathons is an idea we're still extremely new. Um, but the whole area was sort of changing into this. Wow! Look, everyone's into this concept. Uh, more and more sponsors are interested in sponsoring. Oh, yeah. We can continue to grow bigger and get bolder and like have larger prizes and like you know basically this uncontrolled growth was happening. Um, and something we really wanted to do was step back and say, well, what is a hackathon good at doing? Um, and what can we do to sort of you know push some of those things? Like education, for example, was a big uh, inspiration for us um, in terms of like, I think hackathons are really great places for people who are like completely unfamiliar with an area to sort of dive in head first and see all the things that are available, work alongside people who have experience and really like go in with like fresh ideas and like dedicate some time to building something coherent out of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so we built all this support infrastructure around that. Um, we tried to, you know, organize the hackathon in a way that emphasized creativity. We created all these um, workshop series before the hackathon and during the hackathon for like getting a crash course into these basic skills. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we changed our admissions process to really emphasize uh, the idea that everyone is welcome to a hackathon and like we're really trying to find diverse participants. Um, now, with this mission, how were you able to connect the brand and the pixels to that? I think a lot of people yeah. have this like idea in mind that they want to accomplish something and then you have the tools to do it, but trying to bridge that gap is somewhat difficult. I think that's uh, one of the hardest questions of brand design. Yeah. Um, you can't get anywhere without a solid foundation, and we had that, um, but we were really trying to figure out how to turn that into a coherent brand, and it took a lot of um, work in terms of, you know, again, we were all coming in here like super inexperienced. I guess we knew how to make illustrations, but that was pretty much it. Yeah. Um, and so learning the brand process of really like, I think, you know, getting a team together to iterate on concepts, to build a positive environment where, you know, we can riff off of each other's ideas and not shut down ideas prematurely, um, where we can learn to deal with different skill sets and different capability sets within a design team. Um, those were the things that were, I think, central to us executing a successful brand. Mm. Um, I was the design lead for two years. So our first year, we really focused just on, you know, the very basics of like, okay, we need a logo, uh, we need, you know, colors. <laughs> yeah. And that's basically it. Um, and like, you'll look at our material from the first year and it's like, there are, are a lot of inconsistencies, but the important stuff, uh, I think, you know, Addy, who was one of the other yeah. designers at the time. He's an awesome guy. Yeah. Um, he designed the initial form for the claw. Okay. Um, the claw that took shape into the final logo. And then I think we all sort of looked at that and was like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, we tried different styles, yeah. we tried different variations. And I, I guess it's like really hard to describe because there's no coherent process 
to like the iteration itself. It's really just like throw everything at it and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. Or at least that was what we did. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. But um, it did end up working. Yeah. Um, so that was our first year. And then our second year, we really took that and like, you know, tried to refine it and like really execute on a coherent, solid brand. And I mean, the team since then has taken it away and hit it out For of sure. the park. So. So I also want to touch upon uh, another involvement you have outside of school, which is running a community called HH Design on Facebook. Yes. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about um, how you've been able to grow that group into where into a community where all any student who's interested in design kind of points to, or if they don't know about it, they are pointed to that group. Um, and what were the kind of the turning points as this group continued to grow? Yeah. Um, I think HH Design is another example of like, Wow, it's amazing how much the group has changed over the past couple of years. Uh, mm -hmm. We started basically just as a group of hackathon designers, so organizers who were responsible for the respective brands of their hackathons. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so super, super, like, Jeff uh, created the group, and okay. then um, we actually, it was called Design X Tech at first. Yeah, that's still like the Facebook yes. tag. Um, yeah. And so that was like, uh, it was before HH started, in fact. Um, and then I think like the community at the very beginning was just like, again, none of us knew what we were doing. We were all just trying different things out. And that sort of set the tone of like, okay, now you know, you know, Jeff's this amazing product designer at Facebook. Yeah. Um, and like, we have all these other admins who do crazy shit like yeah. Ben, um, like Megan, Stephanie, Stephanie. Yeah. Um, and but the thing is, they all started pretty much in the same place of like we were all people just trying things out. Um, and I think we've kept that in mind because it's there's this you know continuous tradition from the group four years ago to now uh, that we were all students once. And that I think there's a lot of value in a space for students, for people who are interested in design but maybe don't come from a formal background. Exactly. Um, to really experiment with it and get feedback. And I think, you know, the group certainly experienced growing pains uh, over yeah, the years. Like any Facebook group. Yes. Or any design Facebook group, especially. <laughs> for sure. Um, but I think that's one of our central uh, principles is like, it's never going to be a place where it's like super exclusive or it's like uh, you have to be a good designer or whatever that means in order to post yeah. here. So, yeah. And where do you think students can look to in a university setting that isn't necessarily a design school to continue improving their craft? Mm. Continue improving their craft. Or even if they're starting from like zero, which majority, yeah. I think every student in an unconventional school and who wanted to do design started from zero. Honestly, I'd say one of the best places where I iterated on my craft was a hackathon. Mm -hmm. um, I think I came into it sort of with already like illustrator skills, for example, yeah. and like the basic skills. Um, but like that was a place where I really, you know, had the flex flexibility to try things out and had these real world goals where it wasn't just design for design's sake, but like you're actually trying to create something yeah. that does something. With heavy constraints. Right, with heavy constraints, with 24 to 48 hours of time, 
Um, that's an environment that I worked really well for me. Uh, it might not work for everyone. I think there are a lot of spaces in a school setting where you can apply design thinking and design skills to a real world context. Um, okay. And I think the best way to really improve your craft is to seek those out. And even if you don't, you know, make it into like a formal project or anything, mm -hmm. like try with these real world constraints and concepts. Um, I think another thing would be uh, one, one area is like hackathons are increasingly better at teaching even the basic skills. So I know um, I've run a couple of workshops mm -hmm. for Sketch and Figma at like PenApps, for example. Yeah. Uh, and Hackett Brown is pretty good about doing that as well. Um, but if you can't do that, you know, Figma is super fantastic because they have made it super simple for and accessible. And, yeah, and accessible yeah. for anyone on any platform to just go and open their browser and have a full-fledged design tool right there. Um, it used to be, you know, we'd have to get people to download Illustrator for 30 minutes uh, yeah. before we could even get started drawing a rectangle. Um, and it's easier than ever, I think, these days to just like try things out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think um, another area where students can improve their craft is uh, really actually in the visual arts departments of schools. Um, okay. There are a lot of traditional principles of art that apply a lot in design. Maybe I think this is like a second step type thing of like, first you want to play around with, you know, get the technical competence for your design tool, and then you want to like see what sort of principles cross over. But even like, you know, like the Gestalt principles, white space, um, and like the idea of how you organize symbolic, symbolic objects to create a coherent graphic or story. Um, they're super relevant in design. So I'd like to talk more about your professional and career exposure now, uh, especially because you've had a wide breadth of experiences. So to start off, how did you get your first opportunity or internship? Um, and what did you do to convey in that first part of recruiting? Because I think a lot of designers go through this issue where they need a portfolio to get an interview, but you need a job to have a portfolio. Yes. Um, so kind of a segue, but... Um, uh, my first internship in design was with IBM, but before okay. that, that was actually sophomore spring. So before that, um, I had worked as a bio HHMI summer scholar, actually, at okay. Brown. Um, so I think I started in design internships with a bit of like just general experience. Um, what really helped me get IBM was... <laughs> Um, hackathons, honestly. I think okay. um, at that point I had one, like one or two of them, and then um, IBM was recruiting at PenApps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I basically got a chance to talk with a the recruiter there um, and, you know, talk about design in general, mm. what I'm sort of looking forward to. Um, and I think the conversation just started from there. Um, and yeah, I, I guess like for me, um, the key points were having a base of work already. That came uh, from hackathons? That came from hackathons. Okay. 
Um, but it, you know, I don't think it has to be like literally you win things. It's honestly more of a like, have you been able to show that you're actually able to like turn uh, ideas into executed products, no matter mm -hmm. how small or large they might be. Um, and then, you know, getting into an organic conversation with a recruiter or an engineer. Um, I know there's like a mad rush at career fairs to do that, but yeah. it's something that happens, honestly, at hackathons as well. And it's so much more chill. It's so much more chill. Yeah. You get, you know, an extended period of time to talk with these people um, and really hold a conversation. Um, something we did at Hack at Brown was um, we actually had uh, companies send over engineers and designers to be mentors uh, for teams. And so they had like this, you know, invested long-term relationship over yeah. the whole hackathon. And um, even beyond that, probably. And even beyond that. Um, so I think it's really, you know, creating a relationship that isn't too forced or artificial. Uh, and yeah, I mean, like, you know, recruiters want to get to know you um, and they will advocate for you if you get to know them. So. Yeah. So I think those are the key points. Um, the reality of the tech industry is that, you know, there's a lot of aggressiveness in how companies filter um, on the like high volume applications, it's like um, online or like uh, through, even through like resume drop boxes, for example. Yeah. So being able to create a personal connection with the people um, who are recruiting you is super important. And you know that's one thing that's not the greatest about tech, uh, but knowing how to operate within that environment, I think, is important. So you've worked at many different companies, from IBM, Microsoft, Facebook, and most recently SpaceX. Mm. Um, and I'm sure you've interviewed at many other places beyond that. What are some patterns that you've noticed that companies um, kind of look for when they're interviewing for product design internships? Mm. And um, what do you think students often forget when they're interviewing for these roles? Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, to start off with, I really love interviewing for product design. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I've done technical interviews and I really hate live coding. Yeah, it's very um, nerve wracking. It's really nerve wracking. It's like, I, I'm a CS major, but there's no real world scenario where you have to, you know, solve a code problem on a whiteboard uh, without any outside help yeah and like do you know there's it's a lot of artificial testing and I think design interviews tend to be a lot more fun mm -hmm. um, and sort of yeah I think the big thing is to not get nervous um, I think one thing that students forget a lot about is that the design interview itself is a construct. Um, when you, how do I say this? I guess like when uh, when you're interviewing and someone asks you to do a design challenge, for example, and this yeah. is a pretty frequent pattern. That's it's almost like, in every company. Yes. Aside from the portfolio review, it's like design yeah. challenge. Yeah. And a company will sometimes do that um, and like allow you to work offline, they'll sometimes do that during your on-site. Um, it can really vary. But keep in mind that the design challenge question itself is sort of a open-ended thing where it's like, it's now your responsibility to ask the context of the challenge question that's yeah. being asked. So it's like, 
obviously you're going to approach it very differently if this is like a brief for outside investors versus a initial exploration inside a company versus a you know presentation to your CEO mm -hmm. um, and so knowing what context the brief question is asked in super important I think knowing context in general um, and sort of taking a wide approach to the problem initially and like uh, being able to define the exploration space is extremely important. Um, if you once you get a design challenge, you should use the time that you know the interviewer has uh, with you in real time to really hammer that out as soon as possible. Um, so how do you? Well, I should try to take a step back and say that with most technical interviews, there's specific books and specific websites that you're supposed yes. to look at and practice from, and you know you can get a general concept or maybe even the exact same question you'll be asked. Whereas mm -hmm. design interviews, there's really nowhere to look for. Even yes. with like finance interviews, there's guides with software engineering. We just mentioned there's books. But how do you practice or kind of prepare for these interviews? Yeah, I mean, that's the big difference between like algorithms and like these sort of open-ended questions, right? It's yeah. like there's generally a single vector of optimization or one or two vectors of optimization for an algorithm whereas a design interview is almost a question of like what your philosophy is uh, there you know recruiters will obviously be looking out for the basics that you understand how the industry works mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the answers come from yourself and like what you believe in um, and you know what your personal process is so I think the best thing to do is like know how know where your process sits inside the industry. There's a lot of voices and opinions about what a process should be, yeah. uh, what even a definition of a process is. Um, so like sort of know the context again, um, but also you know speak authentically and uh, allow yourself to be challenged um, and. You know, definitely you should be keeping tabs on like sort of what direction the industry is going in. Mm -hmm. And like places like Medium or like Designer News or whatever are great for that. Um, although, you know, I tend to trust the like real world process, uh, what do you call them? Decompositions, mm -hmm. um, replays essentially more than I do like this artificial thing presented into yeah. the other. Um, like um, Asana's rebrand, for example, from a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. this is a fantastic example of like, they documented in detail their whole pr brand process and like, yeah. what worked, what didn't. Um, so keeping up to tabs with that, but also I think, you know, letting your own thoughts and feelings shine through um, and speaking to what's worked in your past, what hasn't, um, being open-minded about, you know, if the interviewer asks you to elaborate on something or challenges you on something, just like have an honest conversation, I think. Yeah. And what is it like to design the inside of a rocket from a completely different context uh, <laughs> from like our typical 750 to 1334 pixel screen or even like a desktop? Yeah. Honestly, the biggest constraints aren't physical. Um, or the biggest differences in constraints aren't physical. It's a lot more about your mindset. 
uh, most modern applications being like web apps, yeah. internet connected things, sort of have this contract of you're interacting in a space where time isn't super critical. Uh, you have the ability to you know, consider decisions. You have the ability to um, present information however you like. Uh, and like within reason, a user will consume them. Um, and like generally speaking, especially for consumer apps, you know, uh, it's uh, you lean more towards conservative information density yeah. uh, and like presenting information sequentially uh, and like leaving clear decision points essentially. On a real-time vehicle control system, you have to be instantaneous in some mm -hmm. of your decision making. You have to be able to give a user the ability to do something right then and there uh, and like it's a lot more of a challenge balancing between the information density you want, especially in an automated system, and the um, the you know level of comprehensibility essentially. Um, and I think you know, speaking generally, a lot of companies in aerospace. Aerospace is strange because. Um, there's a long tradition of human factors, yeah. Um, because you know, if you fuck up an interface in the sky, there's a good chance you will crash and die. Um, so people learned very early on that that was important, but that's historically come from a very engineering background. Mm -hmm. So it's like convergent evolution almost. Of like, uh, there are human factors engineers. There are lots of. Um, people responsible for ensuring the ergonomics of a vehicle, the comprehensibility of a vehicle, but it's a very methodical sort of like bullet point list approach. Um, yeah, it's almost like in, I think in medicine or even like yes, the exactly. medical industry, there's like these safety checklists. In these areas yeah. where it's like, you know, design is literally do or die. Um, yeah the tradition has been to go with a lot more slow and methodical approach. Yeah. And so the challenge, um, I think, for our generation of designers who want to work on these systems is how do you apply the processes that we have that aren't as formalized um, but open the ability to um, iterate in a lot more directions and to explore in a lot more uh, areas with these sorts of traditional processes that have been, you know, ensuring safety and stability for the past 40 years. So this last segment is uh, questions that we ask every single guest, and they are topics that we got and received after polling many student communities, such as HH Design, um, polling on Twitter, and asking around Medium, and this is what's on their mind. Uh, so the first question is, having the experience that you do, there must be some things that you feel like the industry doesn't quite understand about the student design community. And we're wondering if you could speak a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think, first off, the industry is huge. The student design community is huge. So neither of the two are really monolithic entities. But I think um, common 
uh, friction points between the two. I mean, an easy one is like um, sort of the disconnect between modern design specific programs and like what the industry is after at this point. And that's mm -hmm. just a factor of, you know, especially the tech industry moves so fast that it's like you, these programs really emphasize craft and that's super fantastic, but um, sort of are underbuilt in terms of all of the like secondary skills that you need in order to succeed in product design in tech. Mm -hmm. um, that's my perspective. I think a RISD student will give you another one. Yeah. But um, that's an easy one. Another would be speaking to you know designers who don't come from a design-specific background. Um, I think um, the tech industry itself still has some trouble really recognizing what exactly design is. Um, so then by going to a design school, it's almost like self-affirmation that this person has to fit this, should be able to fit this role. Uh, yes, that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but even in like the, the design, ugh, the like uh, non-design background designer space, it's like um, I know for certain that like my responsibilities as a designer, for example, have varied wildly between different companies. Um, my expertise each time has grown tremendously, and that's been fantastic. Um, but I think, like, the fact that I've had to like go through, you know, four different internships in order to really get a full picture of like what design as a field covers mm -hmm. and like really feel comfortable about like this is my responsibility these are the things that i should be advocating for even if i'm not called on specifically to do um that says something about the fact that it's not really a mapped out profession yeah. yet um and i think it's it's an area, it's sort of hard because it's like on the one hand, I think experience is the best teacher in those circumstances. But on the other, you know, people are obviously going to have wildly different experiences. Um, and it's like if you stay at a company for four years for an internship, for mm -hmm. example, then I think you're going to have a much narrower perspective of how design functions inside the industry. Um, and that's not something that's really communicated. Like, these companies have these really strong ideas of like how design works. Um, and I think, you know, something to sort of <laughs> make it so that it's easier to communicate the breadth of design without actually having to like yeah. do an internship. That's, that's the difficult um, part, yeah. Is, is needed. So you have a lot to manage from, whether that's life, school, side projects, biking and more. Uh, how do you try to stay on top of it all? Uh, I don't. <laughs> um, Fair. I think um, the real, one of the real lessons I've learned from college is how to triage, um, how to really figure out what's important to you, uh, do the things that are important to you, 
and not feel too bad about not being able to do the things that aren't. Um, so, you know, for me, definitely, it's certainly super difficult to balance, you know, schoolwork and social life and bicycling and design. Um, and definitely, you know, each time I go back to Brown, it's like I can feel sort of the, the amount of free yeah. time I have contracting and like the, you know, side projects or like side goals that I've set up going further into the distance. Yeah. But like, I think um, one is just like appreciating that there's a lot of time in the world. Uh, and just because you're not doing something now, it doesn't mean it's going to, you're never going to be able to exactly, do it. Exactly, yeah. Design as a field moves quickly, tech moves quickly, but there's always going to be opportunities. Um, and same thing for education. It's like, I think you really want to focus on doing things right instead of getting all of them done. Um, I, I've learned the hard way how frustrating it is to like work on something that I'm really passionate about but not have enough time in order to like execute it mm -hmm. to the depth that I want. Um, and I think, you know, it's really just about like prioritizing, knowing when to say no, um, and sort of knowing yourself and like what you're comfortable yeah. with. Um, where you are comfortable eliminating some things or finding balance in others. So there's a lot of um, blogs, newsletters, articles, and more in our industry, in the design yes. industry. Um, how do you filter out the content that's relevant to you and good versus what is just noise? Yeah. Um, part of that is just experience. Yeah. I think, um, and I, I would say... Filtering implies that there's a fixed um, set of things that are good and bad. But I would say that over the course of my design career... Readership, is, yeah. Um, the topics that I've been interested in have changed wildly. Um, and I think it's appropriate to be able to focus on different levels of design and different areas of design um, in different stages of your career. So it's mm -hmm. like when I was just starting out, um, definitely, you know, super important to like be able to uh, instinctively figure out what graphic weirdness is going on mm -hmm. or like figuring out like the surface level critique of a product yeah. um, and just like getting the basics straight. But, you know, now in this stage of my career, I'm a lot more interested in like how different systems function and like... Uh, how, where design actually has a role in terms of like influencing these organic systems that form um, in terms of like, we, we can say design has like a huge breadth and like everything is designed, but in yeah. reality, what are the impacts of our field and like, where can we have more of an impact, I think. Um, and like, you know, in between, I've like been interested in all of these different topics. And so I'd say like on the macro level, there's that, that like there are, it's fine for you to be interested in different sets of things over the course of your career. Design is a huge field and you should absolutely do that. Um, on the micro level, as far as like filtering signal from noise, yeah. 
they're, they're like easy heuristics, like, oh, is this person a good writer? Um, which doesn't necessarily line up with their design ability, but at least I think... You know, what their you know, agenda is in recognizing the agenda. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a field about communication. You have to know how to communicate well. Um, and, like, there are other things, like, I think, you know, one thing is just discussing it with your colleagues. Yeah. And, like, trying to figure out, well, is this guy full of shit? Uh, what do you think? Um, especially, you know, this is where having, there's a lot of reasons to have a mentor, but, like, this yeah. is where having people um, who have far more experience than you or in a very different place than you is important. So I think that's a good segue to the next question, which is do you have any mentors to, that you follow or that you have to stay inspired or things that act as pseudo-mentors like resources, books, and more? Yeah. Um, certainly over the summer, um, like, like I mentioned, SpaceX was a super different experience from all the other uh, things that I've worked in. And so, like, they're super cool co-workers from very yeah. different backgrounds and who were a lot older than me, uh, who I took a lot of mentorship from. Um, another, I think, general aspect was uh, really taking the time to sit down with, like, these more, you know, like the design canon of books almost, like yeah. Tufty, for example, and, like, uh, <laughs> concepts of visualizing information um, and also I think you know recognizing the limitations in mm -hmm. in one's mentors um, yeah I think uh, it's pretty easy to find a mentor in an internship in terms of okay I shouldn't say that but in my in my cases it's generally been easy to have mentors in the form of the people who are directly over me or that you work with and sit with that next I work to every day with yeah. and sit next to every day but also I think recognizing that they're human as well and you know what they say or think might not be what everyone says or thinks and it's it's really trying to figure out what everyone's perspective is mm -hmm. um, and I think a good way to do that actually is to go outside the design field um, so like I'm taking a psychology class actually right now on uh, information visualization and sort of the cognitive and psychological groundings behind our vision system mm -hmm. and like how we understand and interpret information um, and there's like stuff there where it's like okay Tufty is like a little aggressive when he says uh, certain things like you gotta remove as much ink from the paper as possible and like yep. one heuristic that's great is how little time it takes to draw this graphic. I mean, that's not... Okay, maybe in the time that he wrote it, it's like a valid thing because like he wrote this book when computer graphics weren't common. But like, you know, understanding from a cognitive perspective that like, well, we actually recognize objects at the object level atomically. We don't or compose them from individual like lines and shapes so like having a coherent object that looks like an object that feels like an object is actually pretty good for our visual system yeah so like there are all these small things where it's like you got to hear voices from different perspectives and um, yeah so there's 
as a design leader at Brown, I'm sure there's a lot of people that come up to you asking for advice or asking how to get into design. And I'm sure there are students or people who are looking to switch their careers into this field who would like immediate actionable pieces of advice. And I'm wondering if you could, um, if you have any just to, to share. Immediate actionable pieces yes, of no advice. Yes, no vague like be yourself of course being yourself is great but every I mean something that isn't as cliche and very applicable sure. um, something where like if a student listened to this after doing listening to this they yeah. could go do that go to a hackathon go to a hackathon um, okay. they happen all the time during the school year and instead of just coding a project for example maybe there's a design workshop that you can attend maybe you just fire up Figma yourself and you like dig into the basics of like uh, how shapes and illustration are constructed. Um, it doesn't even have to be a hackathon. It can just be like find some time and dedicate it to you know just learning the basics. There's yeah. this gap between a lot of people talk about like design process and it's like uh, the all the things around design and like what the hell is good design um, I've talked about that and that's great and everything but it sort of assumes this basic technical knowledge I think that's yeah. the technical knowledge the first stage that's really uh, a gap in understanding that if you bridge then what you is, can sort of what composes that technical knowledge yeah so it's just like you know learning how to draw shapes in Illustrator or Figma or Sketch. Yeah. And it's like how everything in the built environment, all illustrations, whatever, fundamentally are compositions of shapes or they are lines and arcs or you know these atomic elements um, that are very simple, straightforward, and intuitive to construct. And then you just use these you know fairly simple options operations to compose them together mm -hmm. that's something that really it's like well how the fuck do you like go from an oval to like a I don't know a coke can or a home yeah. button or something like that not immediately clear but once you play around with it it all makes sense mm -hmm. um, I think this is maybe okay this is actually I think an area where uh, art school and like our high school art classes and whatever have sort of biased us in the wrong direction or in the direction counter to what we would find in design yeah. is, um, you know, while visual art initially at least is all about like draining the semantics of a object and just decomposing it purely into lines and forms, um, iconography and like visual design and like communication is a lot more symbolic. It's a lot more about how you render an object into its fundamental forms yeah. and like its uh, semantic forms of like a can is formed from, you know, two ovals and interstitial space. Uh, so like uh, I, I think understanding it might not be immediately intuitive, but this process of decomposing the world into symbolic objects that still retain meaning is, I think, fundamental to starting with, like, how to design. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's you have to be able to read the world in this way before you can start organizing the world. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's this like basic stuff that's like it seems hard, but it actually really just yeah. play around with it. Yeah. And our final question is, what's next? What is next? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> mm. I will let you know in the next month or so. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think I will be taking, at the very least, a gap month. A gap month. And so you're just gonna like peace or, out of brown for you know, a month? God knows what. I, I I graduate in December. Oh, so you have a um, long time. I have, okay. I have a while before I graduate, and then I want to spend some time just doing something completely different. Uh, maybe a long distance bike tour. I have a friend in Alaska who's currently doing biogeochemistry research, and like maybe we'll go and do really dumb things with bicycles in Alaska. Cool. Uh, or something completely different. I don't know. But I think, you know, time off from work. Uh, and then probably somewhere on the West Coast. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Chen. Thank we you. We really appreciate it.